Okay. Hello, everybody. Uh, we're live. Good to talk to you guys again. Um, so, yeah, we got a really cool film to talk about. We're talking about Christopher Nolan's Interstellar, which uh, came out in 2014. Uh, it was written dir uh, and directed by Christopher Nolan and also written by his brother. Um, this is a very interesting project in general. Um, <clears throat> so this film sort of started as a project written by his brother and then uh, actually was supposed to be directed by Steven Spielberg in like 2007. Um, and then it sat in development for, you know, basically seven years. And then finally, uh, there was like some switches of which production company it was going to be under. And so then that led to um, Christopher Nolan agreeing to direct the film. And then obviously it became a Nolan film. And, you know, now we got this film. So, um, yeah. Uh, so... Had had you ever um, when this film came out? Had you heard about it or seen anything about it? Do, do you recall when it came out? Yeah, I remember when it came out. I knew a lot of people who went and saw it multiple times. They they were raving about it. There was one guy at work who was just like, "Oh no, you got to see it! You got to see it! It's the greatest space movie ever, and it's so good. It's gonna blow your mind. You're gonna have to watch it more than once." And I was just like, "Yeah, I don't think I'll see it now." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's there, again. There's... It's like the Inception thing. Everyone was telling me to see it. So I was just like, I can wait. <laughs> um, but, you know, I was like, I like I like space movies, obviously. Like, I'm a big sci-fi nerd. I love all of that stuff. But it didn't, at the time, like, I didn't feel like I needed to see it necessarily. I feel like it's more relevant now, especially with everything going on. I think it could definitely be, it kind of like how War of the Worlds is, you know, um yes. good to watch during like a pen maybe not good to watch during a pandemic but you know but you know what i mean it can definitely be related um mm -hmm. to whatever is going on now um but it kind of just was one of the movies where i was like yeah I'll, I'll, I'll see it eventually um i was kind of that was around the time where i was kind of fading away from like christopher nolan movies so i kind of felt like i saw so many of them at once and in a short period of time and i was still on like my batman kick i think that might have been might have been around the time when I was watching every Batman movie ever like that had been oh. made. Um, and, but yeah. Um, oh, and I just, I think I had also just watched true detective the first season as well. So I was kind of on a McConaughey kick, but I didn't, I didn't really, again, it's one of, I can't really sit through long movies anymore in theaters. So I just kind of was like, yeah, I'll, I'll see it eventually when it's streaming and things like that. But um, this, this is definitely a long one. Um, and I, yeah. I like that you brought up McConaughey because this is kind of like the peak of him, uh, pretty much. Yeah, and his I've, he was so phenomenal in it. He was really, really great. Yes. I really, yes. really appreciated his performance in it because he wasn't like that normal McConaughey that we know that. Yeah, he can be a little he, zany at times. He can be, right. and it, he can be a little too... Yeah, you're rough around the edges kind of a character. But no, this mm -hmm. is just like a... This is just kind of like a regular guy, too, that I like. But he's But he's also very smart and he's very um, good at what he does. And he didn't really, I like some of his conversations with John Lithgow's character, his father-in-law, where he was good. like, you were, because I read that John Lithgow's character is kind of like us, we're kind of, is kind of like a millennial basically now in his like sixties oh. or seventies. Um, but he has this line to Matthew McConaughey. He was like, you were either born 40 years too late or 40 years too early. And I was like, yeah. wow, I feel like that sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that. Because there's a lot of like kind of thematic stuff because, you know, he talks to that character about how he's contemplating what to do, right? Mm -hmm. If he should do this thing or not. Um, yeah, so let's just talk about the cast real quick. It, it, this is a great cast. So as we talk about, um, 
the the protagonist, the lead, is Matthew McConaughey, who plays Cooper. Uh, this guy who's sort of basically in the past, he was a NASA um, astronaut pretty much, or at least in training, but it didn't work out at the time. Uh, then there's Murph. So Murph is played by, the young version of her is Mackenzie Foy, who's a really cool actress. And then the older version is Jessica Chastain. <clears throat> and then, so that's uh, his, Cooper's daughter. And then Cooper's son is Tom, who's played by Timothy, Timothy Chalamet as a young version, and then Casey Affleck <clears throat> as the older version. And then there's Professor Brand, played by Michael Caine, who's in like, you know, almost every single Nolan movie. <laughs> yeah, he's always good. He's always good. He is always good. Yeah, he always brings some kind of mentorly. He's usually the mentor. Yeah, he kind of passed over into those like Anthony Hopkins roles where it's like, only nicer, <laughs> only like the nicer version. Cause I feel like whenever Anthony Hopkins plays like a mentor kind of character, he's always kind of, there's always that wonder, well, is he evil? Is he actually bad? Because I could, uh-huh. he's good at doing both. And, um, but Michael Caine always just seems like the one you can trust and the one that you want to mm-hmm. forgive if he fucks up. Um, like I love him in, uh, oh God, I love this. The magicians with Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale. Yeah. The Prestige. The Prestige. Like, I love his character, The Prestige. Very understated, very, but but there, and very good. Um, and, of course, he's Alfred, and he's wonderful. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Anne Hathaway is also in this. She's, I think, Amelia Brand, so, like, Professor Brand's daughter. Um, and then there's, so the astronauts are, like, Brand, Doyle, Romley. Um, and then there's a special cameo we'll get to <laughs> when it when it pops up. That's really I didn't weird. know that honestly. This movie's been out for like seven years or something like that. Yes, or, I, yeah, didn't so I, I didn't either. I had no idea. Like when it came movie. out, like it, it. I think there was a lot of people who legitimately were like, "What?" Like I know I did. Um, and that's something he kind of. I think he's kind of doing that now a lot because that actually happened in another movie is uh, where I'm like, oh that person's in this movie, you know? Um, he does such a good job of th- keeping things under wraps that, you know, they become like a pleasant surprise. Yeah, and I was worried that when he did pop up, when I realized who it was, that I was like, oh, he's probably gonna like steal the show, you know, cause sometimes he can be a little bit of a scene stealer. Um, but he wasn't, I thought he would, He, I think he did a very good job of being a supporting character, which is not something that's in his MO. Like he is a leading man. And I think yes. he did a very good job of, of just, being a character I'd never seen him play before, like yeah, never. Yeah. And it was very good. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the other, so Doyle is Wes Bentley. Um, and then Romley is this guy, David Giassi. So yeah, that's the cast. <laughs> and so, yeah, so just to get into the plot. So the film opens up with this really cool. So it's like, there's this bookshelf, right? And it's really interesting kind of, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I really like that. This is how it, it starts. Because, you know, again, it's very, you know, I remember thinking of when I when I saw that, I was like, there's this is very uh, kind of foreboding. I feel mm-hmm. like this 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 has some meaning. I don't know what it is yet, but it has some meaning. Um, but it's, it's going to matter. Cool. Uh-huh. And like you see dust kind of falling and it's it's all really very, very cinematic, very beautiful. Uh, and then we see these these interviews with this old woman and she's talking about her life on a farm. Um, and then we kind of get this intercutting with this kind of dream sequence of something of Cooper on a, on a flight in this sort of the futuristic space, um, shuttle pretty much. And yeah. And then you can tell it just didn't go well and it crashed and he's, he just can't get over it. Um, and then, you know, his daughter Murph keeps talking about this ghost. She calls it a ghost leaving signs for, for, for them. 
Um, and then, yeah, so we see like this, this is the future. So for what I understand, this is supposed to be like 2067 is the year for this movie. Um, and then we kind of get more stuff about this family. So again, there's two kids, Murph and Tom, their mother is dead. She's no longer around. Um, and then he talks about like, you know, they have this fun conversation about why she's named Murph. Cause she's named after Murphy's law, which is, you know, anything that can happen will happen. Mm -hmm. um, although we see it as like something bad. Right. Um, Generally that, the connotation is, Oh great. This is just the peak. This is just crap that's happening, but yeah, it can yeah, be good but, too. When nobody looks at it like that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so then they're, they're driving around, they see this drone flying, right? Uh, this old military drone, like basically from our time. And then they, there's this fun scene where they chase after it and he reprograms it so that he can, uh, what's his name? Um, Cooper reprograms it so that he can use it for farming. <laughs> yep. uh, and this, again, gives us more of an idea of what the world is like. So the world has been encompassed in another dust bowl, pretty much. And the ability for us to produce food to basically feed humanity has declined. So a lot of people have to become farmers. And so Cooper is a guy who was like an engineer and then they sent him onto a farm, you know? So it, again, it's a little, it's a little dystopian, right? It's pretty, well, pretty dystopian, I'd say actually. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that like he was someone who was involved with flight, you know, kind of like test pilot kind of a guy and, you know, someone who loves science and, you know, obviously reaching for like the stars and things like that and then he's grounded in the most metaphorical way possible which is no now you're gonna be in the dirt like you're as far from the stars as humanly possible yeah yeah um it's it's pretty rough uh and then it it, it gets even rougher uh as we're gonna see in this later scene but why one of the things i liked when he talked about taking over the drone he was like, yeah, it needs to be repurposed. It needs to adapt. It needs to adapt to our time, mm -hmm. which I thought was interesting sort of kind of comment on technology, how, you know, technology needs to serve people, not just, you know, do whatever. Like this was a war machine that he's going to turn into something to feed people. So I like that. Um, and then we get this scene where Cooper meets with, it's like a parent-teacher conference kind of thing. Oh, this scene pissed me off. <laughs> this scene was like, yeah, this scene was another one where I was like, what? So he basically... At this point, um, well, they say, okay, your son, he's going to be a farmer, blah, blah, blah. So for Murph, uh, you know, she, so for Murph, they had a problem because she brought in this book from basically, again, from our time, which had some stuff about the moon landing. And they were like, oh, well, the moon landing was fake. They just openly said it. These are the teachers of a school. And they said, yeah, the moon landing was fake. That was just a, a fraud perpetuated by the government to bankrupt the Russians. It was all propaganda, which is like... I feel like he's so insulted by that. I love yeah. how shocked he is. And it kind of gives you a perspective. Oh, well, when he was in school, they were still teaching that obviously the moon landing was real and that obviously the like space exploration, space exploration was still a thing. And then just one generation removed, all of that has been reversed. So just think about this. So we, we watched first man, you know, uh, a couple months ago, I think at this point, just think about all the things that happened to all these people, this generation of people, right? Who did, who did that, who actually went to the moon, how much they sacrificed, how many people died, how many people basically kind of had their lives ruined, but we all collectively as a society decided we're going to do this. Mm -hmm. How crazy would it be to just say, oh, it was fake. Yeah. 
I think there's some places that definitely would teach that, honestly. Um, I think there's some still some pockets of of communities that would love to, to be able to teach certain things like that in, in schools and have it be complete and total nonsense, in my opinion. Um, so what are you teaching them? Like, that's what I, that's my question is just like, what, if, the, if you, if your curriculum is this backwards, just in regards to the moon landing, what else are, are, are is going on in this new society and in this particular school in general? I, it, I think it's very, I think it's a very scary idea personally. It, it's very scary because like, I think the answer to that question is that basically they're teaching people not to think critically. They're teaching people to just basically be a drone. You are a, you are a worker bee and your job is to, you know, just to go and farm. Just like the brother, the brother's like, you're going to be a farmer period and story. Um, <clears throat> that's it. You have no choice. You have no autonomy. You don't really get to decide for yourself. Um, society decides for you and you are told what to do. And I feel like in some ways, like some of that isn't necessarily untrue of today. You know, we have different, you know, um, electives and different kinds of like, besides just like, you know, taking math, science and, you know, English classes, you have like the other ones in between. Like, I mean, I don't know if any schools still do wood shop or anything like that or have mechanic um, classes or anything like that, where you can audit, you can go to like a college and audit another class. Um, so at least you have those options of knowing, oh, well, maybe I would like to do something in a trade field or something like that. Or no, I want to be a doctor. So I'm going to take more science classes and biology classes and all this other stuff. Um, but in this world, in this new future, it's very, no, you have two options. Yeah. That's it. That's it. You don't, we don't need doctors anymore because we're just letting people die because now the most important thing to figure out is how to make more food, basically. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the scary thing, too, to me about this idea is that we're, we're probably closer to that being possible than we'd ever want to think, right? Yeah. To, <clears throat> to them just, like, spitting out insane propaganda into people's heads. Yeah. Um, I mean, for us, that's shocking, but you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> like, like it's, it's crazy. But. Yeah. But for some societies, it might be a little more closer to home, you know, like your where your, your heads of state are considered also like your, like they have pictures of them in, of them in their home right next to like a deity, you know, yeah. like, and there's still yeah. homes like that, that have a picture that like have a picture of the, whoever the president of the United States is right next to their freaking crucifix, right next to their altar where they pray every day. They even have it in like their kitchens or their, their dining rooms as if like that, that, that leader is an extension of your own family, if not the leader of your family. And oh, it's kind yeah. of a creepy idea at the same time. It, yeah, it is creepy. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the state of humanity in the interstellar. It's pretty bad and it's, it's getting worse. Um, <clears throat> so then like, meanwhile on uh, Cooper's farm, a bunch of strange things start happening. Like uh, a whole bunch of the machines that do the, the, um, the tilling and the sewing of the, of the, farm start working and then he has to basically a bunch of anomalies start happening and he doesn't know why and like books start falling on the ground in his library um and so he's trying to figure out what's going on uh me and then they get they get hit with another dust bowl and <clears throat> then the dust starts lining up in this kind of sequential order of lines and so then murph and cooper are kind of like trying to figure out what it is 
And then um, I forget the the name of the character, but John Lithgow, he's like, he has this great line. He's like, yeah. And so, um, you know, you guys want to come to dinner after just done praying to this dirt or whatever. It's yeah. Really- after that praying in the dirt, basically. Yeah. 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 It was really funny. <laughs> yeah. Cause um, he doesn't really get it. Like, I feel like John Lithgow's characters, if he is like part of the millennial generation, he's kind of just like, yeah, this is pointless. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's just there for moral support, you know, pretty much in this whole movie. And he's yeah, but he's great. Um, So they figured out they figured out that, you know, um, Murph thought it was like Morse code, but Cooper figured out it's like a binary and it's coordinates, it's location coordinates. And they follow them. Um, And Murph, again, you know, Murph is very rebellious, right? This situation with the teachers she got into trouble with. Um, She you know, didn't want to listen to their BS about the moon landing being fake. So that got her into trouble here. She's like, you know, Cooper's like, don't, you can't come with me. Um, <clears throat> but then she snuck into the car and came with them anyway. So then they go to this facility. Right. Um, and then they're, you know, they're obviously not supposed to be there. And then something happened, which is very interesting. Something goes after them and attacks them and, and like kind of stuns Cooper. And then, you can tell it kind of takes um, it takes Murph away, <laughs> um, and then it turns out it's this like really interesting robot design. Yeah, that was a really weird design. Like I didn't <laughs> I didn't hate it, but as soon as I saw it in motion, I'm like, okay, that kind of makes sense because you know sometimes motion motion brings it to life. You know, it's just, it can have a voice and stuff like that, but it, it, it having it move was very interesting and I liked it. It was kind of clunky, but it, it was graceful at the same time. And it was, it wasn't just like this clinking clanking collection of colossal junk, you know, it was, it was smart. It was humorous and it was funny. And I, I liked them. I liked all the AI in it. Yeah. Tars was the, uh, the AI that he encounters uh, ex-military robot. It was really like, that was again, another thing where it's like, Whoa, this, and, and I was reading, so they, they wanted to go with a non anthropomorphic, kind of robot and so they i they said that they 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 figured out the most kind of mathematically symmetrical thing to create so they could do all the stuff that we see it do in the film later on uh but yeah it was it's basically like a talking obelisk yep pretty much and um definitely has its own personality for sure and yeah i liked that i liked that it wasn't like just some android some pasty-faced android that we're so accustomed to seeing um they're usually british they're usually tall they're usually benedict cumberbatch looking so i'm glad that it was something just i like that it was different and that it was out of the box and yeah it, it was good i liked tars yeah um so then so what he fi- finds out is that he's like oh where am i and well turns out he is at nasa this is the future nasa and they've you know it kind of makes sense right if you think about the whole situation at the school like nasa they don't even believe they did what they did right so they kind of have to go underground um and then he tells them like you know yeah i got the coordinates from this anomaly and that kind of lines up with something that they know is going on um and so then Cooper kind of tries to figure out what's going on. And they're like, yeah, so we have this, this plan basically to save the world and figure out like, you know, a way, a way for humanity to get out of this situation. Um, so they have basically, so they have two plans that they, that they want to try and figure out. So 
first plan is um, they want to kind of do some sciencey stuff, basically. Like that that plan A is a little vague, but <clears throat> they need to acquire some scientific knowledge so that they can understand gravity enough so that human beings can get off the planet and um, basically start off-world colonies. That's plan A. Plan B is for them to um, basically do a population bomb on another planet that is equally <coughs> life-sustaining. <coughs> and so they're, they, they're looking for another planet to, to go to, to um, sustain the human population. And they're helped by the fact that they found this wormhole. A wormhole disappeared near Saturn. It's out of the blue. Um, and they don't know why it exists. They don't know who placed it because a wormhole is not something that appears in nature. It is a artificially created event. Um, and so they, they talk about, they sent these, these missions of people. Uh, so they sent 12 mission, 12 Ranger missions 10 years ago. And they are safe. So basically they figured out which planets could be sustainable. Now they're going to do another mission, which is going to, um, you know, try and do plan A or plan B. <clears throat> um, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, this is a, like a little complicated. So what do you think about the setup of this whole, I guess, Thing of like what the mission is right i liked it i honestly liked that it wasn't the first time they had tried it i liked that this had already been something that had been well underway for a decade and that they'd been working on it and like we see time pass differently for our main characters who eventually go but just think of it in the way that oh people have already been doing this people have already been like going through the things that our main characters that we come to really love um are going to experience and i like that michael kane kind of tells you know, Cooper at one point, like, oh, I've already been, like, we were going to leave without you. Like, you can come, but, like, we're ready to go, like, now. And um, we can't really wait for an answer. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I like that the setup was that they've already been trying. And because usually when we watch movies like this, they the main character shows up and they're like, oh, this is the first mission. And we haven't tried anything like this yet. And so I like that the setup was that, you know, we've been trying and we don't have an answer yet. <laughs> so, but we're going to keep trying. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So yeah, they're gonna try this other mission, and they feel like because Cooper kind of just came in out of nowhere, and so it feels like it was fate that he would come, and Cooper thinks that too, <laughs> um, and so he's kind of contemplating whether he's gonna go or not, and you know Murph doesn't want him to go, and then Murph says, "Oh, I I I figured out the message that it's that's being sent. The message is stay," um, but he decides not to go. Cooper decides he's gonna leave. And Murph doesn't take it well, and she's kind of just like mad and you know angry, uh, which is understandable, right? I mean, again, um, there was a lot of people who didn't make it in these missions, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and he knows that. He knows that it's basically a one-way trip. Like, if he comes back, everybody's already gonna be gone. Like, and yeah. he's very hopeful that he will come back. Like, he's very optimistic. I think part of it. I think Murph is the, one of the reasons why he is so optimistic. You know, I have to go back for her and my son and things like that. Um, but it's still really sad because, like, you don't know because maybe they'll kill Matthew McConaughey off. We don't know. <laughs> yeah, we do, we don't know. <clears throat> we have no idea. Um, because you know, like, what? I mean, how many? Like, in the early days, how many people actually made it all the way through these mm. missions? Well, we did. We not. It's not very optimistic when they finally go, for sure. And they said that they've done like twelve thing like that, and we only know of three that they find so it's pretty bleak it is pretty bleak yeah 
Um, yeah. So then we get the so the so he decides he's gonna go. He drives off. We see the we see the we see them lift off some really cool stuff. And they I feel like they really got this right the way that the 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 spaceship takes off into into orbit. It's really cool. Um, and then Tar is just like making these I guess you could say funny jokes, right? He's like he's like yeah, plenty of slaves for my robot colony. <laughs> <laughs> it's like what yeah they're like yeah his uh humor's up like by 60 percent or something yeah like he's that. Like, it's like oh can we adjust that yeah let's take it take his take the humor down a notch <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so then they talk with the endurance and the endurance is pretty much a futuristic version of the internet uh the, the iss the international space station uh, it's the circular thing that has these little pods it has like 12 pods on it <clears throat> um so they talk and they spin to create gravitational force um, and then they're, they're off on their mission. They have, I forget how long it's, it, they said it was, but they had, basically they're going to go to Saturn where the, uh, where, where the wormhole is. And that's going to take them some amount of time. So they're going to go into sleep, whatever, whatever that they, they call that. Like hibernation basically. Yeah. Hi, they're going to go into hibernation and then, <clears throat> then, um, they're going to, you know, approach the wormhole. Uh, I thought these scenes of space were like really, really well done. I mean, they are absolutely amazing. Oh, they're so good. Like when they're passing over like Saturn or whatever, and you just see this tiny little dot that's supposed to be them compared to this giant. It's so breathtaking. It's so it's, beautiful. It, I love space movies that look like this. I love it. Yeah, I just, it's so beautiful. It's just so beautiful. Like how vast the universe is, but how empty it is. But you know, <clears throat> again, like, like to be that close to something like Saturn, right? It's just awe-inspiring. It's phenomenal. Yeah. And I just love mm-hmm. that, you know, this film goes there. This film mm-hmm. is depicting all of these incredible <clears throat> events that, that can take place in the universe and tries to show us what it, what it could be like for a human being to go into these situations. Um, yeah, it's just absolutely gorgeous, the photography and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we get, yeah, we get this cool thing, like, uh, this, uh, Michael Caine, he, like, he reads this, um, this poem, he recites it, like, over and over and over again in the film. Yep. <laughs> Do not go he, gently he, that kind of, yeah, I, I, I understood the meaning behind the poem, but after a while, I was just like, again? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, it was very repetitive. It was, it was very, very repetitive, and again, I get the theme, and it's a phen- phenomenal poem, like, I, I love that poem. Um. But I get it. I get it. Rage, 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 rage. rage. Like, oh my god. Rage under- against the dying of the light. Yeah. It's like I get it. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Yeah. And and yeah. Um. So so then yeah they go into hypersleep and then they they exit hypersleep near Saturn and yeah Murph is still super mad. She won't send him a message. He's Cooper's like looking at messages from the John Lithgow character and Tom and all this stuff. And they're just saying, yeah, what's, this is what's going to happen. Uh, you know, Tom's going to be a farmer, blah, blah, blah. You know, we'll talk to you later, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Um, so then Romley gets really excited because they're approaching the wormhole. And then Romley does this really cool explanation of why the wormhole looks like a sphere to us um, because of like, basically it's, it's bending space time. And so if you take a circle in three dimensions, it looks like a sphere. And then we get this really cool scene. I think one of the coolest scenes in all of sci-fi, like the history of science fiction. They enter the wormhole. <laughs> like, even when they first see the wormhole, when they see the wormhole, it's unbelievable. It is unbelievable seeing that. 
No, it was really, really cool. It looks so real. It looks so cool. It looked like they were really on like the edge of this. And I was just like, I was so scared for them to go inside because it's such an unknown. And even like the film itself is showing something like this is what we think it might be. We don't, <clears throat> nobody actually fucking knows. You know what I mean? Yes. And, but like, it was, so, it was really, really cool. Like, I really liked it. Like, you're, are you falling forward? Are you falling backward? Is, it, is there up? Is there down? There's no up, no down. There's no left, no right. It's just, you're just kind of um, occupying this odd space. And it's, it's very, it was very good. It was very, very good. Yeah, it's, it's so cool. And like, there's a shot of like the ship approaching it and you just see this big sphere and this thing is, is, is coming near it. And it's just like, <laughs> like you could just imagine being someone seeing that and just be like i have no idea what's gonna happen i have no idea I, i'd be scared shitless honestly like and it almost seems like for a moment the way it, it looks it's like do they penetrate it do they go through it do they just enter it you know there were so many questions i had of how they were going to show it is it just going to be like this are they going to poke into it and it's just going to be like this blob and it goes like blue 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 or something kind of like a bubble um or is it just like this is it just like the drop off is that just it you know and then it's like a free fall into into what <laughs> yeah that's that is kind of one thing we don't we see them approach it and then we see what happens when they're inside of it we don't see um because maybe that's just something we don't we we don't know until we we do it like what it looks like to see the sphere and then see you go into the sphere exactly from the outside like i, I have no idea <laughs> but i don't know it yeah, maybe like you see. Or is, is it just like, does it just, does it just suck you in? But it's not a black hole, so why would it just suck you yeah. in kind of a thing? But it's kind of like, yeah, like because in the second season of Star Trek Discovery, they use a similar thing where they use a wormhole and things like that. But what happens is they use a point of reference in the the space transport you, transports you through a wormhole. They use a point of reference. So that point of reference is pulling you okay. through the wormhole, um, which again is like, you know, it's sci-fi, so you can do your own thing with it, whatever. Um, I feel like because it was something similar in Interstellar, because they know they have an they have coordinates of where they're going because they know where the last person was. Um, it's something similar to that. So I kind of like that there's this point of reference that can tug you through and kind of be a compass in that sense. Um, but I liked how this wormhole was portrayed more. Um, in Discovery, it's a little more trippy. It's a little weirder. Again, they don't portray anything of what's up or what's down. It's, again, just kind of like this free fall into, into nothing. Um, sorry, I just got a weird Facebook notification. Yeah, um, no. <clears throat> but in it, I like it a little bit more, mostly because of just how it looked. I think it looked a little bit a little bit more realistic. Even though we don't know, we have no real answer. Um, it's all just theory of what it looks like inside a wormhole. Um, I liked this portrayal a lot more. Yeah, I just thought it was just unbelievably cool. Uh, and then when they're going into it and they're passing through and it's like, it's just so amazingly visually um, compelling. Like you just see universes, like 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 you see galaxies, galaxies flying past you. Mm -hmm. um, and it's all, because <clears throat> it, it's, it's basically like a, a circular tube of space. And then, you know, because it's like warping space uh, and like kind of con con contracting it. And yeah, you just see all of this space flying, flying past them. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it, it was unbelievable. And then, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, parts of it actually reminded me of Star Trek: The Motion Picture when they go inside this crazy like dome thing. It's um, Viger, or yeah, Viger basically is like the space entity. It's massive. It's it's its mass is unknowable, 
and in, within it, there are universes, there are yeah. other, there are planets, <laughs> there's cultures. And it kind of reminded me a bit of that visually. It reminded me of that. And I was, I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. I've, se I've seen that before, but I, I like that they do something different with it, that you see all of this, you see life passing by you and you're like, how does it fit? You know what I mean? Like, yes. because our mind is, our minds are trying to figure it out and to work out an equation that will make it fit. But sometimes it just doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. That's, that's physics for you, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Crazy stuff. So <clears throat> then they, while they're passing through, Brand sees this anomaly. It's this weird gravitational thing kind of coming out into the ship at her. And she like try, reaches out to touch it. Um, and it, yeah, it's just all really very, very different from anything any humans ever experienced. Right. Oh yeah. <clears throat> um, and then there's this great shot of when they exit the wormhole. Like, it's just, you know, it, you can see the space kind of undistort, and then they arrive uh, in this, <clears throat> this, this, this place. Um, and yeah, they're at, they're at this somewhere <laughs> way off into, into space, some other, other location uh, that's way, way far away. We don't even know how far. And there's a bunch of planets around this <clears throat> massive black hole called Gar Gar Gargantua. And then they basically have to decide, okay, how are we going to, what's our approach to figuring out which planets we need to go on to find which ones are sustainable. Um, yeah, because they only have X amount of fuel. They only have a certain amount of supplies and they need to be very precise, which I liked. Yeah. So they decide <clears throat> they're going to um, go on this uh, planet. They call it Miller's planet after the, the astronaut who landed there. Um, so basically the setup is like, there's maybe, I don't know, three or four planets. Um, <clears throat> each planet is situated somewhere near the, uh, the black hole, um, either further or closer. And they are receiving a signal of data from each, each one from each planet. And each planet is sort of, you know, that's how they're deciding which one to go on. If the data says this is habitable, they're going to go there. If not, forget it. Um, and so basically they have three choices, uh, and so first they decide they're going to go to Miller's planet and it's a little dangerous because every hour they're on Miller's planet is seven years of earth time. Yeah. Fuck that. <laughs> no, thanks. Yeah. That's relativity. That is, that is temporal relativity. Um, yeah. And, and so they, they have to write, they, 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 they're going to do it, but they have to, they have to be very precise about the amount of time they spend there because, you know, plan A is to save humanity. Um, not to just leave them there. And if, if too much time goes by, you know, again, the human element is all, all this time, if all this time goes by, what are you saving? Like Cooper's got a family and then his family's going to be older than him. Yeah, exactly. Like it's, it's, he really doesn't want to go down there. Like it's just bad feelings. All like, I've got a really bad feeling about this. It's too much of a risk yeah. because they're like, we got to get down there, get the data, check in with Miller and get the fuck out of Dodge before an hour passes. And that's just like, Holy shit! Like that, you have an hour, or even before the hour is up, you gotta you gotta get out of there. Because if an hour is seven years, minutes is months. You know what I yes. mean? Mm -hmm. So Absolutely. no matter what, they're losing time. No matter how which mm -hmm. way they slice it, they're losing time. Yeah. So then we get to see another one of the greatest things in this film is the the gargantua, the um, the black hole. It and it's again, this is like one of the most amazing things depicted in science fiction. This black hole um what's so cool about it was like this was probably one of the first times that we in any 
way, shape, or form I attempted to depict realistically what a black hole of this type would look like. Mm-hmm. Um, and they actually consulted some, you know, actual scientists and physicists to people who out devote their lives like. to this. <laughs> yeah, there, there was a guy I forget his name, but he was also um, <clears throat> he also kind of helped with the film and the 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 script. Uh, he wrote a scientific paper based upon what the black hole looks like in this in this film um because basically what they did was they just fed some some math <laughs> pretty much they fed math into into the cgi machines and then it spat out this this thing it's it spat out what gargantua looks like um and interesting thing was in 2019 we uh basically figured out the first way to actually kind of photograph um to, uh, actually photograph a black hole and it looks very similar to this very similar to what you see in interstellar there's the the kind of the lensing like the mm-hmm. um i forget what you call what you call that but like because of the way that it distorts certain things you get that where there's a circle and then there's like this thing uh around it in the front um yeah so like what you're seeing is very close to reality which is kind of mind-blowing <laughs> it's pretty cool it's pretty cool i mean it's pretty fucking scary at the same time but it's pretty cool like you can't help but be like, wow, nature is awesome. Like, or is there is there more to it than just nature? What else is there that, what are the components of this thing? You know what I mean? Like, I always wonder, is it aware of what it is? I always wonder that about, about everything. Like, not about a chair or, you know, things like that. But like, you know, does a bird know it's a bird? Or is it just, you know, going on instinct, you know? Yeah, does the, does the, um, <clears throat> does a supermassive black hole know that it's one of the most incredibly insane things that it can can appear in nature who knows who knows who knows but it's it's definitely awe it's awe yeah it is it is awe inspiring um yeah it's just there's so many things right so we've we've gone from a wormhole to seeing this massive black hole it's just mind-blowing right it's absolutely mind-blowing it's fucking crazy dude like i didn't I was just like, this movie is just throwing a lot at me, but I'm really enjoying it. I'm really enjoying all the shit it's throwing at me. Like, we just went through a wormhole. Now we're on the edge of a fucking black hole, which, like, it yeah. just... Yeah, ah. and this, there's this great shot where they're, like, <clears throat> they're approaching the planet, Miller's planet, and, like, it's right at the cusp of the black hole, and you see all the kind of the light kind of flaring out at the bottom of it as their as their ship is going to... It's It's, like, it is so beautiful what they are able to depict in this film it really is and i see i feel like it pays homage to a lot of other films as well like i see some star trek themes in there some 2001 space odyssey just with the ai alone you know i mean yeah it's not gonna try and kill you um but it definitely even just like just a lot of homage to sci-fi and you know like (laughs) this is the culmination of all these other films and I even read I've never seen it personally I would I've always meant to watch it this is on one of this is very high up on my to watch list which is Event Horizon yeah um I heard that that was very this movie was very much inspired by that film and yeah I just like it it's just not only is it a beautiful movie and I really like the story but it's also just it it really does feel like this the crescendo of all these other sci-fi movies we've we've grown up watching and have enjoyed so much. Yeah, absolutely. It's like it's taking all that stuff and then oh yeah, all the all those 2001, all these these things that are trying to like depict for the time what we think of the future and then putting it all together, this is the next level of that. It is definitely paying homage to that. I mean, I you know, in that scene where they go through the wormhole, I can't help but think of like compare that with in 2001 when um, 
when he when he finds that final um <clears throat> that final uh, obelisk and then there's like it tilts up and then who knows what happens right mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he probably goes through a wormhole or something but this is like taking that but then showing it in a different way visually but it's mm-hmm. yes yeah, kind of hitting on the same stuff so yeah, it's such a cool film. Um, so yeah, so then they they arrive on Miller's planet and they get there and it's just a bunch of water, right? Just a bunch of water, not much else. They don't really see much else. They're trying to find where Miller's stuff is at, like the data or the ship or whatever. Uh, they And then they try to find the beacon. Oh, and another thing, this this planet is 130% of Earth's gravity. So it's 130%. Yeah. Yeah, you are heavier and it's harder to move. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> on top of the fact they're wearing these suits that are super freaking heavy. Like, there's so much weight bearing down on you. Like, they're panting. Like, they're out of breath all the time. They're just like, get me off this fucking planet. Yeah. So so then they're they're looking for this beacon, and then they find it, and it... Yeah, they're, they're in trouble. It, the beacon is destroyed. It's just a bunch of wreckage. Um, and they, they also don't understand, like, what the terrain is. And then later on, you know, Cooper's like, those aren't mountains. That is a wave. So there's like a massive, I mean, how big is this wave? I don't even like. It's the size of the Empire freaking state building, dude. It's just like, and that's the thing. Like, it's so, because like the gravity is wearing down on them. That's, that's obviously very heavy on your body. You're in, you're on an alien planet. So that's going to mess with you psychologically. There is wreckage everywhere. Clearly someone is dead. (laughs) I would think I'm looking at a mountain too. Like, like when Anne Hathaway says, I'm running, I'm going towards the mountain. And they're just like, wait, what? What does that even yeah. mean? Like, it's almost like maybe it's affecting her psychologically in a way that her mind can't comprehend that there is this massive tsunami coming at her and that she's going to, her brain is going to try and rationalize it as something else because why would you think? And the water's not even that deep, which I thought was really interesting. It's this whole planet, I'm assuming, of water. And it's not even that deep. It's like ankle deep to them. So not only do you have all of this gravity bearing down on you, but you're trying to move through water. And we all know, like, you know, when you're trying to run through water, it's a pain in the ass. Pain in the, yeah. And so it's all just, you know, yeah, it's, it's really good you, you bring that up because think of all the crazy obstacles that get thrown at them. They don't know what the terrain is like. It's they're heavier. It's water. So they're slower. So it's even and time is a huge resource for them. And so this is sucking away really their most valuable resource, which is time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're just, they're, yeah, they're really in trouble. Um, and so then like, you know, Brand does a stupid thing where she's like, oh, I have to get the data. I have to get the data instead of getting into the ship and leaving. Um, so she's trying to do that. And she she basically kind of gets stuck because she can't, she just, you know, she can't move. It's, it's, it's this, the, the plant, she's too heavy. The water is slowing her down. She's, she's not going to make it in time. She's tired, you know. Um, I think she gets caught on something, too. I think she gets caught on some of the wreckage, but coupled with the fact that she's heavier and in water, and she she's obviously exhausted. Um, yeah, she just, she can't move. I love that moment because, like, Wes Bentley's just kind of like, we don't, I was, I, unfortunately, we didn't get to know Wes Bentley's character all that well. Um, but uh, he... He knows he can't get to where he's trying to, but he knows he can't in time. So he he tells, I love this moment when he tells Tars, go get her. Um, because it brings it back to that whole, like, the, an AI's first mission is to protect human life at all costs, basically, or, or something like that. There's, like, a list of, like, AI prerogatives or something, or priorities. And I love seeing, like, Tars just move, like, super fast through the water. Yeah. And he's just, like, 
like seeing him in motion before when they were still on NASA was just a little bit. And then you see him just like, he's like super fast. He's agile in water. Again, he's not, he's not this clinking clanking thing. He's very graceful and he just kind of like scoops her up. And I just thought that was so cool. I love that. That moment. was so cool. Cause like he does this kind of cylindrical movement. Mm -hmm. He like basically turns into like a sphere and then moves like that. And then it like creates these robot arms like this and then grabs her and then mm -hmm. runs with like its feet. Yep. It was so good. It was, it was, I love it. That was like, again, another like, wait, what? He can do that too? Exactly. Like he's not limited. Like if that's like, if that's what his limit is, then like that's crazy. But I feel like it's just a little taste of like, no, this thing is actually pretty helpful <laughs> in a time of crisis. And again, it goes back. Oh, well, he was a military robot. So obviously he's not going to just be some, he's not going to look like a printer for no reason. You know what I mean? Like, he, yeah, he's kind of shaped like an old style printer, but like he's, He's pretty badass. I like Tars a lot. Yeah, and I, Tars I just, is great. I just loved that moment of, you know, him not even hesitating, you know, because even though he could list off like, all the, oh, well, you know, she's I'm not going to make it back in time. It's futile. We should just let her die. No, he just he doesn't hesitate. He just goes and get her, gets her. Yeah. So he goes, he gets her. And then they're all trying to get back onto the ship um, before the wave hits. But they just can't make it. The wave hits them. It floods the engines. Doyle doesn't even get on the ship. He basically gets sucked into this wave and that's pretty much it for him um and they are stuck on this planet until their engines get dry unflooded. out basically yeah mm -hmm. so cooper's pretty pissed at her cooper is hella pissed cooper's hella pissed at her for good reason she kind of like you know look you're you're the the most important thing is time and you're wasting that resource that's the main thing of the mission yeah um, and they have they have this kind of they basically have a fight <laughs> Yeah, and then they, they have this really interesting conversation after, like, you know, they've exchanged, you know, angry words and everything like that. And he kind of, I think he, he, Cooper asked her something like, well, how long do you think Miller had been here? And she was just like, well, time is relative. We might have just come right after the crash. Like, we don't know how long she was here. Because the beacon was still going, you know what I mean? Like, it was still transmitting data. And um, so, obviously, she was there, Miller was there long enough to send information back. But she's like, we don't know how long this this has been a thing basically yeah so it, it is an utter disaster right just like on every level it is an absolute disaster for them um and yeah we get some other like some other stuff they talk about like is there a way to travel in time and then this is where she says which is going to be irrelevant later the only way to the only way to that we know to traverse time and space is through gravity um, because he's trying to think like, is there a way for us to like get back the time we lost? And basically the answer is no for them. Yeah. Like we can keep moving forward, but we can't really go back. Yep. Which sucks. So then finally they, well, <laughs> what happens is a second wave is coming. And they need to get the hell out of Dodge. <laughs> they need to get the hell out of there. And it's like, well, the engines aren't flooded, uh, deflooded yet. It's like, I don't care. We got to go now. <laughs> and so then they're able to like kind of jumpstart the engine in the ranger and get the hell out of there before they get hit with the second wave um <laughs> yeah a really bad way to start this whole thing someone died they lost a bunch of time and they didn't really get anything out of it it's not that they got any knowledge out of it not really no which is really disaster. important yeah that's just heartbreaking where you're like oh well that was a wasted trip in more ways than one <laughs> yeah so then they get back and romley is like right romley he's he's been stuck with a robot for what we find out is 23 years, four months, and eight days by himself. Mm -hmm. Wow. That sucks. That sucks. That I, I, is... I, 
I really liked Romley's character. Like, that was just so sad. He's like, oh, you came back. And, like, the looks on Anne Hathaway and Matthew McConaughey's face where they're like, I'm so sorry. Like, yeah. like that uh, 20 year, 23 years. By yourself. Mm-hmm. And, like, yeah, the thing, too, is, you know, he even says, like, I, I, on some levels I didn't think you were ever going to come back. I thought you were dead. What do you do then if they died, if everyone died? Mm-hmm. <sighs> they're lucky he was still there. Yeah, if he, he didn't just leave. Um, so then we get, this is like, this is the emotional gut punch of the film. So then Cooper starts looking at all the messages that were left while he was gone, these 23 years. Um, and then he sees Tom. Tom keeps sending him messages. Tom is growing up. Then Tom, you know, says, oh yeah, John Lithgow died. We buried him. And then <clears throat> um, he has, uh, I think a son. He, well, he has a kid, his first child. Mm-hmm. He shows him the first child, and then you just get this devastating message where Tom is like, you know, everyone's telling me you're not gonna come back, you're not gonna make it. I need to let and, go. Yeah, and he's like, yeah, I'm gonna, I, I, I have to do it. I have to let you go now. Goodbye, Dad. It's like, no. Yeah. Oh, just devastating. Um, and then he gets one last message from Murph, who's, who's like, you know, she's fucking mad, right? <laughs> and yep. you know, she's in the message. She's like, yeah, like. <clears throat> I, I'm sending you this message because, you know, at this point we would be the same age. So they are actually the same age at this point mm-hmm. in the movie. Um, and she's mad at him for leaving. Still, yeah, it's it's it is devastating. And it's like so devastating. Like there's a lot of a lot of his films kind of get pegged as being like very cold and kind of technical and mechanical. And I, I've I read someone they talked about it, like his films are very materialistic. Like there's always some kind of Something it, it always has to do with time, and time is the main thing that he's he's dealing with. Like that's the real enemy of, of whoever the protagonist is. Um, but this is like a really emotional scene, like one of the mm-hmm. most emotional scenes in any film he's ever done, and it really connects with the character. Yeah, um, and it really connects with like the audience too. And yeah. you just feel so bad because she hasn't she's never sent a message. She's been angry and hurt this whole time. She's struggling her way through. And it's just, it's like this, because she doesn't know if he's still alive or not. And it's like this weird rite of passage almost. Like, yeah, I'm your age now. I'm the age you were when you left. And it's just like, ugh. Like, you just, you missed so much. You missed so many things. And so it's, it's really, it's just so sad. Yeah, it, it's devastatingly sad. And, you know, again, like, that's, that's the cost of doing this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You sacrifice your life and your livelihood. And your family, like and your family, and your family, and your time. And again, time is like the most important theme. And yeah, it's just that scene was pretty. I get why there were so many memes of it and everything like that. Now I get it. Like seven years later, I get yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like him crying and then like something whatever's on the television. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I get it now, and I'm just like, oh, that's actually really, really sad. I was laughing at these things. I didn't even know the context of it or anything. Yeah. And McConaughey is like unbelievable in that scene. Like, oh, my God. yeah. Like, I don't know if they were playing like on a monitor or if someone was reading the lines behind like a camera or something. Um, but he was fantastic. He was so good. He doesn't even he say fantastic. anything. He doesn't even say anything. And you're just like, you feel for this guy so much. And you can just see he regrets it. He's like, I should have yeah. stayed. Because, yeah, you can, that that's such a human emotional thing. Like, not being able to be there with your family as they get older Mm -hmm. like that's or to just be there for them too like you know his like i get the i 
I kind of missed it the first time, but then as the the movie kind of progressed more, his, Casey Affleck's first child died. He got sick or something oh. like that. Because you don't see the other, you only see one kid, and he has uh -huh. a different name. Because he mentions in one of his videos, oh, we were going to name him Cooper, but my wife thought, no, maybe the next one, kind of, and chuckles about it. And then, yeah, he just, he wasn't there to be, he wasn't able to be there for him. Yeah. And it's so sad. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And then, so we now get sort of brought into the story of Murph, who's, you know, in her 30s now. And she uh, is, she works for NASA. And she works with Dr. Brand. Um, and so she's a scientist. So yeah, she's in this dystopian future, she's living kind of a, a solid life. Um, and there's actually this really great line again from the John Lithgow character. So like right when they go off on the mission, um, Dr. Brand comes to them with the car and is talking to the John Lithgow character. And then basically he's saying, yeah, Murph is gonna come work for us in the future. And then John Lithgow says like, oh yeah, well, you know, hopefully she'll, um, <laughs> they'll probably be good for her. Hopefully she'll make a fool out of you just like she does her teachers. Hmm. And I thought that was really kind of interesting foreshadowing and also just like a funny, you know, line from that character. Again. No, absolutely. And I think it's also a way for like the characters themselves to kind of cope with what they've lost. You know, Dr. Brand's daughter is most likely never coming back. And he knows that I get the impression it's his only kid and that they were very close. I mean, she followed in his footsteps. There's obviously some a real closeness there and Murph loses her dad. And I feel like they kind of try and cope with it together by creating this, like not necessarily like a father daughter dynamic, but like this um, student mentor kind of a thing where they can kind of be there for each other. They can kind of replace what they've lost with one another. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And like Murph is still, very angry with with him and it's just like to the point where she doesn't she doesn't forgive him and she thinks this is the main thing too that's really interesting she thinks that she left he left them yeah like not that he not that he like had to struggle to make this choice that he wanted to get away from them and just leave this planet that's dying to to be somewhere else yeah like you left us to die like yeah. that's that's how she feels and i think it's very common for kids who do have a child that abandons or a parent that abandons them they see it only as abandonment they don't see that there might have been they don't understand circumstance they don't they don't want to understand circumstance and it's just this anger that's kind of left behind and to a, an extent from my own life i kind of understand why she's angry um but then i then i found out why you know, I found out reasons why what was going on in this person's life at the time to make them want to just run away. And while it's still a shitty thing to do, but I'm an adult now, I'm not a kid. And I, yeah. I at least took the time to figure to understand someone's reasons. And Murph just, Murph just doesn't want to, because it only seems like there is one reason the planet's dying, everyone else is dying. I'm just gonna leave, I'm just gonna yeah. take off. And the thing too, is I, I feel like she probably feels like she understood what the message was, you know, and he just wouldn't listen to her. That makes it even worse. Yeah. Yeah. It does. Like, Oh, I was just a kid. You're not going to listen to me because I'm just some stupid kid, yeah. you know, like, and she tried <clears throat> telling him so badly. And like, if, because so often kids don't, we don't, if we remember what it was like to be kids, like we, we I feel like at least I felt like I was never listened to when I had something yes. to say, I felt like I either didn't have the words to articulate it properly. Cause I was a child mm -hmm. or I just wasn't listened to or taken seriously when something was important. And I definitely feel that for her. I do. Yeah. Um, so then back 
in space. <laughs> so now that their disastrous first mission has happened, now they very, in a very calculated manner, are deciding the next planet they're going to go to. So there's two planets. It's either man's planet or Edmund's planet. So, and they're basically, man's planet seems more uh, fruitful, I guess. Um, so Brand wants to go to Edmund's planet and Cooper wants to go to man's planet. And then Cooper kind of drops this bombshell <laughs> on Romley <laughs> where he's like, well, you know, Romley, you, you probably need to know the fact that uh, Dr. Brand is in love with, um, <laughs> is, is in love with Edmunds. She's He's been like, emotionally what? compromised. Yeah, emotionally compromised. She's been emotionally compromised. Her her vote is null and void. <laughs> like it doesn't hold water. Yeah. Sorry, and, Anne. Yeah, and she, she's like, why should that matter? And then then she kind of it fucking she, matters. It matters. Yeah. Let's not play that game, sweetie. <laughs> yeah, and then she cops to it, and then she kind of just opens the floodgate, right? Like, yeah, I I want to see him again. And if, if maybe there's a 1% chance, I want to take it, you know? And then she goes into the spiel about love and stuff. <laughs> this is, this is, okay. So I'm curious, like, if you were in that situation, so you're Romley in this situation. You're Romley. Yeah, fuck. What side are you taking? What are you, what's your vote? Oh, man. If I was Romley or I'm in Romley's position, because, like, I would feel, I would just feel so bad. But because, like, the data from Man's Planet is so strong, it's been the only consistent stream of data that they've gotten. You have to go with what seems like the best position. And, like, you have to yeah. set us, like, we have to set aside our personal feelings for the betterment of humanity. It's one person. And that's horrible to say. But it's, you only have one shot. And you can't afford to be wrong. You, you can't yeah. afford to be wrong. And just because you, you're like, if it was Ryan on that planet and I was Anne Hathaway, I would probably feel the exact same way she does. You know what I mean? And yeah. it's, and it's just, ugh, it's, it's a sticky situation. It's horrible, but like you have to go with the data. It's, it's awful, you but you, you have to go with that. It's, this is humanity. This isn't just one guy and you yeah, don't know. If, yeah. You don't know if he's alive. Like they got to Miller's planet and it was an utter freaking mess. Yeah. And Miller was dead. And on top of that, Miller was dead. On top of the <laughs> fact that going there killed another scientist who was very important to all of this. Yeah, he was a kind of a, a detractor of like Cooper, but like at the end of the day, he was chosen. He was he was there for a reason. And who's to say if you go to freaking Edmund's planet, it's not going to be worse. Like it's there's no guarantee, and you just have to go with the the best stream of data at that point. And it's. Yeah. It's awful to say, but it's at that point you can't you can't that one percent is not valid. It doesn't it doesn't hold water. Yeah, we you, you gotta because imagine if there was another disaster on that planet. He's dead. It's uninhabitable. They the mission's basically over. And they exactly. Screwed. And there's no way of telling anyone. Hey, we fucked up. <laughs> it's also it's also difficult for her too to make her case because of what happened on Miller's planet when she kind of. Yeah, she kind of. Yeah, she fucked up. She shot herself in the foot. On top of the fact that she is emotionally compromised, and we we can't afford to have the heart lead us right now. We really can't. Yeah. Like even Cooper, who is doing this all for his kids and future generations, he's like, I can't take that risk. Like I can't. I can't trust you. I can't trust yeah. that when you get there, if we find him, you're not going to do something incredibly rash because of your co compromised position. She, yeah. she's not a, she's not a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Reliable anymore. 
Yeah, she's not reliable, unfortunately. So she concedes to it, and they're you know they they make their plans to go to uh, Doctor Man's planet. Um, and then we get this other scene where she kind of you know again like now emotions are very high, and she kind of was like, well, you know what? Um, <laughs> you know when the situation is on your end, Cooper, and you have to choose between your family going back and never seeing your family again. I hope you use the same kind of credence that you did with me. Yeah. Do I have to? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I was hoping you weren't going to say that, actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that's that's the price, right? That's the price you got to pay to do this stuff. You have to think beyond ourselves and our selfish interests. Think of the big picture, the human picture. Humanity exactly. is bigger than you or me or any other individuals. It's bigger than that. It just mm-hmm. is, you know? Exactly. And we, you got to. <laughs> What's the what's the line from Spock? The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. Yeah, they do, and that's true. Mm-hmm. It's true, they do. Um, so back on Earth, uh, Doctor Brand is dying. He's basically on his death, and then he starts babbling the stuff, and then he said he says that they've been lying about solving the gravitational equation, He's lying about it for decades. You bitch ass point. old man. God damn it! Like that's when that's like I'm oh God like Michael Caine. <laughs> Just like that, yeah, just like sobbing on his deathbed, admitting to someone that he has mentored and cared about and been a father figure to. Just yeah, I kind of lied. Yeah, I lied for you know. I mean, at this point, that's most of her life. She's been fed that lie. Yeah, right? it's one of those alters your perspective on everything moments, and those moments suck. Those moments are. Yeah horrible i had one of those this year and it sucked (laughs) and it's just like it's like that you know that zoom zoom in zoom out effect kind of like in jaws when like oh yeah yeah. sees like the shark attack Mm -hmm. happening and it goes really tight on his face but yeah the the background is just like it's i love that effect yeah the vertigo effect exactly and it it happens that is something that genuinely happens and it happens to murphy in that moment and it just it brings up more questions than answers and it sucks because then she's like well did my dad know about it who else knew then and- yeah we get this great scene where uh murph sends a message like oh so you just to her dad like oh so you knew you knew that we were doomed here and you left us you left us to die blah 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 and she calls um, Anne hathaway's character straight up she calls her out she's just like i don't know if this is going anywhere but i'm mad but it's a different mad because now there's doubt in what she's always believed about her dad, which is maybe he just left us to die, but maybe he didn't know, but maybe he did know. And that validates her feelings this whole time, but it also puts in a huge level of doubt as well. You know, like, did you just take my dad from me without telling him? Like, that would piss me off. Absolutely. Um, And then we get, so like, this was one of the most interesting parts of the film actually for me, because this was like, this was a choice about where we're gonna go philosophically in the film. So the message is being sent, it gets received by um, their ship. And then it's like, I think it's Case or Lars, one of the two of them is watching the message. Mm. He's, he's watching it. <laughs> and it, and this is like some emotional shit, right? And and it's like, whoa, what what's he gonna do? Exactly. Oh, and is I, I was for a moment, just to go to the Lars and Tars thing, I was briefly confused for a second because I, I honestly didn't realize there were two separate AIs but Lars <laughs> is basically the pilot and Tars is the anthropomorphized version of of Lars. I'm assuming they share similar not maybe thoughts 
but uh, priority mission priorities basically um but that's just a little side note for me is that it was very late in the game when i realized they were two separate <laughs> yeah there are there they and the names are very similar too so it's it's kind of easy to... exactly but no it is a moment where he's just or we're saying he only because he has a yeah. male voice, male but voice. Kind of, you can almost like there's no face to either of these ais there's just a data stream you know what there's i mean a, yeah. There's like a matrix board. <laughs> exactly. And he, even though, and even though it's just that you get to know this voice where you can almost kind of, he's, it's almost like, should I be watching this? Yeah. It kind of like, it peers in and it's like, mm, mm, mm. he's like, um, I don't think this was for me. And it makes you wonder, did Lars and Tars even know? Like they're these super smart robots. They must've, they, computers are supposed to figure out things that we can't. And it's almost yeah. like this, this is something that I am programmed to know. <laughs> the 90% truth thing, right? Can't be 100% truthful because that's actually a detriment. Exactly. Okay. So, yeah. And that's kind of left to linger. So then, you know, that's very, that's very, get this kind of Hal vibe. It's like, whoa, is Hal going to suppress this information? Uh, and so then yeah, we see don't. them. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty sad, yeah. So then we see them flying down to man's planet and, oh, man, like, again, the photography is so beautiful. Like the sky is literally frozen. So like there's these frozen clouds. And there's a whole bunch of shots where you kind of see the the um the ground level and the like the sky kind of compressing together as they're flying downward. And then they like they like hit hit a, a frozen cloud. It, it's really kind of funny. Um, Was that Iceland? Were they filming in Iceland? Because I feel like Iceland's become yeah. super popular to film in lately. Because even season two of Discovery is doing that. I believe so. Yes, it was Iceland. You're right. It just looks, it looks alien, right? <laughs> oh God. Yeah. I'm like, this is a real place. How do you live there? It's like when, it's like how there's still like in, um, oh, where is it? it? There's like still like these tiny little pockets of like communities and humanity that in like Russia or something like that, like deep in like the Russian wilderness that like still thrive and have never like advanced beyond the wheel and fire basically. And it's like, people actually live there? Like, that, how do you survive? Like, what kind of person does it take to survive in a climate like this? It's, it's crazy to me. Yeah. So then they, they find this outpost where man was, and they go to wake him up. Um, and they, again, they call this the Lazarus mission, because Lazarus rose from the dead. Um, and who pops out? Our it's friend Matt Damon. <laughs> Matt freaking Damon. Yeah, it's like, I was surprised by that. I'm like, I thought you were on Mars, dude. <laughs> like, I thought you just took a trip to Mars. But no, he's just been in, like, he's just been sleeping for 20 years. Yeah. Um, and he comes out crying, and he's super emotional. And, yeah, we, we think, like, oh, it's Matt Damon. Yes. This is this is going to be, we're finally, we're finally turning the page. We're finally into a positive territory in this film. Um, so Dr. Man shows him around the world. And then, you know, they're talking about sciencey stuff, basically. Uh, and then Lars comes down. And so this, again, this is closing the that, that open-ended question. Lars shows them that whole message unedited. Doesn't, doesn't you know, doesn't do the howl thing. <laughs> yeah. Unfiltered, uncut, raw. Here it is. Yeah, just, just blasts it on them. And they, you know, Cooper, <laughs> Cooper and, and Brand are like blown away because they didn't know, right? She didn't know either. Cooper yeah, that's something that. I was wondering about. It's like, would she have known? Would he have just like sent her off without telling her? And it turns out now he he knew and she didn't. And that's yeah. 
Like, it's a huge betrayal. Oh, my God. Like, she's just as yeah. torn up by it as everybody yeah. else. And it's and the only other person who knew was man. <laughs> yeah. And Cooper is like, yeah. And man goes into this whole thing. Oh, yeah. We had to lie because, you know, plan A was there's no hope for plan A. Uh, so we 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 made up plan A to fund plan B, the lie. The colony is the only way. Uh, yeah. There. Yeah. It's hopeless. And we are the future. That's what Dr. Man says. We are the future. That's it. Earth is done. And it's like, wow. <laughs> Thanks for that. Yeah, that's Dick a big move, lie. Bro. Dick move. Um, and so Cooper is like, dude, I want, no, nah, I did not sign up for this. Did not sign up for this. Mm-mm. I signed up to save humanity on Earth. I didn't sign up for some mission where I leave my family. If I knew this, I would have said no. Mm-hmm. And so then basically he says, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you guys, but then I'm going to fly back to Earth and be with my family again. Um, and so then, you know, we get this cool intercut between Murphy, um, and Dr. Man with Cooper. And so Dr. Man's like, oh, I need you to, you know, I need this. Yeah. This is like the point where we're like, wait, what? Yeah. I need you to come over, come over here and help me. Uh, I want you to look over this cliff. Just look over there for a minute and I'm going to stand behind you. It's just like, that's when I was just like, yeah, I don't think that Damon's nice in this movie. I think that yeah. nap really fucked him up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And then Dr. Man is an interesting character. Dr. Man is like one of those super arrogant, super self-important, thinks they're going to save the universe type of people. And when they they figure out they're not the center of the universe, they have a tantrum. Yeah, pretty much. And he's just like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, I'm so I feel so bad for doing this. I'm like, fuck you. Yeah, You're I feel so coward. bad, but Which I'm going like, to have to kill you. Yeah, it's kind of just like, it's such a, it's like, God, I was so mad at Matt Damon. <laughs> but I was just kind of like, you're such a wimp. You're such a freaking wimp. All you did was take a nap. <laughs> you took a nap, you woke up cranky, and you're just gonna you're just gonna kill someone who's clearly the better person in the situation. It's just yeah, it was just and what a fucking cowardly way to do it too. You're just gonna let yeah, him die cowardly. because like the like what the oxygen was like poisonous basically. Yeah. Um I just you know, let him he turns off his like internal yeah, his like communicator. Inter- his communicator so he doesn't have to hear him suffocating basically <laughs> i'm just like you yeah. freaking wimp it's like yeah you know the last thing you're gonna see when you die you're gonna see your family and you're gonna see your life flash before your eyes it's gonna be real painful before that happens though bro like that's oh thank you for being so comforting and describing the last thing i'm going to see yeah like what a scummy person no it's like, other- not for you to decide the other thing too is so then he like there's this whole thing where they where romley's trying to get this information out of his military robot Kip, which was destroyed. So he's trying to get it out, blah, blah, blah. This thing's happening. And this this piece of trash sets up a bomb. Set up a bomb in the uh in, in the in 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 this robot. So whenever someone tries to access the information, it just explodes. So that kills Romley. Yeah, I was mad about that. I was super mad. Like like he's already shown that he's capable of like, I mean, in a really piss poor way of trying to kill someone and then he's responsible for I was so mad about Romley because Romley was so like he was very he was Romley very didn't blind. deserve that. No, he didn't. And like after being stuck in space by yourself for 23 years and then he gets blown up, it's just like that's that just pisses me off. I feel like even like I forget if it was Lars or Tars, but one of them tries warning him before he accesses it because and then he just he can't save he him. Can't he, save even, him. he even says like I couldn't save Romley. And it's just yeah. so sad and ugh. That was just so shitty. Yeah, I think I think it's um 
I think it's it's yeah, it's whichever one is the one that can actually it's not the one that's the pilot. Oh yeah, like I think it's Tars then. Yeah, I think yeah, it's Tars. Um Yeah, Tars like, oh no, wait, and it's just too late. It just sucks. It sucks. Mm -hmm. Um Yeah, so but did you like what did you expect them to have him be this way when you first saw that it was Matt Damon? I felt like it was one of those like too good to be true moments. Um oh we I have all this data and we can we can set up down here and that's where we can have like the colony and then like obviously Murphy's message gets through and man comes clean but he's still trying to help them um but like I learned from watching a lot of Star Trek the lone survivor trope never turns out the way you want it to oh, there's always okay. like very rarely cuz usually they like oh there's a space station that's that's gone dark abandoned. <laughs> abandoned or gone dark oh but there's this scientist who's been here for 25 years mm -hmm. and yada 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 but there's always some kind of um self-interest that they're trying to fulfill in some way and yeah. um that's why i was just like i don't know if i'm gonna entirely trust him but they but it's matt damon so maybe i should <laughs> it was like with the casting it was very tricky because again this isn't a character that we generally see matt damon play um He's Jason Bourne. We usually root for him. Yeah. You know what I mean? And he's Will Hunting. Like, we usually root for him. Um, like, he's an eco-friendly fucking activist. We root for that guy. Yeah, we root for that guy. Good good funny. casting against type, I guess you could say, right? Yes, exactly. It was a good casting against type, which is why it makes it a little, like, mm, fuck you, Mac Damon. How dare yeah, you? Fuck you, man. Yeah. And leave him on Mars for all I fucking care. Um, so, yeah, and, and to, to kind of you know, the reason why he's trying to kill Cooper is like Brand agrees with Cooper that Cooper is going to take one of the last shit because they at this point, they think, OK, we're going to we're going to create humanity on this planet. And so this is the the mission has been accomplished and they don't need the Ranger or anything like that. So he was going to take the endurance and then go back to Earth, Cooper. Uh, so Ban has to kill him because they're like, yeah, this is, you know, man knows this isn't it. This is not habitable. We have to leave and we're going to need that. So when they figure out that, you know, I lied, you're going to be dead. So then we're just going to go to the next planet and be over with it. Um, yeah, yeah and man just doesn't want to be there anymore either. He's just he's ready to leave <laughs> and he's going to do anything he can to make sure that he leaves. And I like how at this point in the story, Bran and Cooper are kind of like on each other's side for really the first time. <clears throat> She's going to help him with his goal and he's going to help her with hers. And yeah. it creates like this. Until Romley dies, it creates like this nice little camaraderie between the three of them. And um, <clears throat> pardon me. So I like that she's um, that they're kind of helping each other for the first time. Yeah. So then, you know, um, they get into this fight. Right. And then like uh, Dr. Mann starts headbutting, <laughs> headbutting him. And then like Cooper's thing breaks. And so he's he's losing oxygen and he's able to, to crawl and get the communicator and call for help. Um, and you know, uh, Dr. Brand is able to like figure it out and get to him. So they're, they're flying like a, a ranger to get to him. Meanwhile, Dr. Mann is stealing another ranger to get back to the endurance and dock and basically lock them out and they'd be, they'd be screwed, totally screwed. Um, they're able to, they're able to save, um, they're able to save Cooper, but they're too far behind Dr. Mann to stop him. Um, and so then they, there's this kind of the standoff where uh, they, with one of the robots withholds the docking sequence from Dr. Man. So he tries to do it manually, which is disastrous idea. And they're trying to tell him, dude, do not do it. Do not try and do it manually. You're not gonna, you're not gonna be able to do it. Yeah. This is why we but have this, robots. <laughs> yeah. But this arrogant 
freaking idiot. He's like, he doesn't care. He doesn't care. He's so arrogant and so dumb that he's yeah. like, oh, yeah, I can, I can do it. Like, you don't understand. And then he has this long speech before he fucking blows the thing up. Well, it would have been long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would have been. But no, he died. He thankfully, yep. But he blew, he basically blows up the, uh, he basically blows up the endurance with it. Mm -hmm. uh, it creates this massive explosion and then it starts spinning at very, very, you know, very high RPMs. Um, and now they, they have to, they have to dock while this thing is spinning in order to stop it from spinning out of control. Um, yeah. And then we get, again, one of the cool, another one of the coolest sequences in the, <laughs> in the film. I like, so like Cooper, Cooper's like, okay, like study, study the endurance of spinning. And then the, I think Tars is like, no, you can't do it. It's not possible. No, it's not. It's necessary. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's necessary that you get this and get, get us to dock on this damn thing. Yeah. So what'd you think of this scene where they're like trying to like uh, match the spin and dock uh, with the endurance? Dizzying. Oh my God. Like I thought like watching first man made me dizzy, but I was just like, oh yeah, I'm about to pass out just like Anne Hathaway. <laughs> yeah. Anne Hathaway passes out. She's done. Yep. And it, it was very harrowing, but I was like, they got to get back. Like they need to get back. Like, come on. These people need a break. They need good news. Come on. And, uh, you know, it was very good, very harrowing. And I, I really liked it. Yeah. Um, but you know, again, this is, this is why, this is what astronauts train for. This is why they're a different type of human than us, you know, mere mortals. And it kind of goes with like the name of the ship, which is endurance. And this is the most, this is, you gotta have some serious endurance for this dude. Like, yeah. cause you're just this tiny little meat sack <laughs> spinning and spinning and spinning. And it's, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this and the music, the, what did you think of like the, the music and like the sound design, like the score and the sound design for this film? Oh, I loved it. There was no blom. So that was good. Um, I didn't hear that. I kept waiting for it. Um, I liked that uh, Christopher Nolan basically told Hod Zimmer, I want a different kind of sound. I don't want necessarily the whole instrumental, whole orchestra thing. Um, I loved the, the organ music because the organ is kind of like, it's a kind of an, it's an interesting instrument you know it's basically a piano but it's it's it has a very different type of sound and we usually associate it with like very very dramatic maybe even like gothic type of things um but no it was i loved it it was very very good it really it gave it its it gave it personality in a way and i thought it, i thought i really liked the sound design and the uh the, the musical score especially yeah i think the score is really good especially like in this this scene with Cooper trying to dock, um, it's really powerful. It's really, really works, fits the scene. But yeah, like you said, it's not the bomb. It's not the over the top, super loud stuff. It's very understated and a little subtle. Um, but yeah, it gives us, you know, I, I feel like it fits the space kind of atmosphere. I agree. Yeah, it's it really fits eerie. that atmosphere. Yeah, very eerie, very, you know, unforgiving, mysterious, but beautiful at the same time. Yeah, so it, I think this is again one of the better Hans Zimmer scores, which is saying a lot. I feel like he outdoes himself every time. <laughs> he does. Uh, every time, like from Gladiator to Interstellar, it's just like yeah, it's always I, I, so like impressive. the Pirates of the Caribbean music. I freaking yeah. love it. Is so good. It is so good. Like he's just he's a phenomenal composer. Um. So now they've 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 gotten Doc the Endurance. They've gotten it away from the. Uh, <clears throat> they've gotten it away from Gar Gargantua, but now they have to figure out how to get to uh, the last planet. 
And so Cooper has a plan to like slingshot around Gargantua and get to get to Evan's planet. Um, and then one thing he doesn't tell tell Brand is that you know he he basically he's gonna have to detach too, leaving her by herself. Mm. Yeah, and that's like kind of a sad moment. And he's gonna fly into a black hole. <laughs> Pretty much, and it's just so sad because like it's oh they had just started working together. She came back and yeah. saved them, and in a way, he's trying to save her. I think he is. Um, you know, I'm sending you where you originally wanted to go. Like, yeah, this is where you wanted to be. And I hope you find what you're looking for kind of a thing. Um, but it's just so heartbreaking because it's like, what if I'm alone? Yeah. yeah. You know, all we have is each other now at that yeah. point. But, you know, that's that's just what's got to happen. Like, they, mm -hmm. otherwise they're not going to make it. Uh, so then we get this crazy scene where Cooper is flying into the black hole. This is pretty scary mm. to me. Um, going into a black hole is, that is it. That is it for you. <laughs> There is no getting out. Not even light can escape. And you are going to slowly be crushed into nothing. Fun. <laughs> yeah. And he's in this ship. And, like, the visuals are so interesting. And the sound is so interesting. Like, we get these shots of just, like, dust sucked into black um, as a way of kind of representing, like, what it what it would look like to be descending into a complete black because when you're when you're go into the i saw this really cool illustration of like what it would be like to go into a black hole um it's very interesting because it's very kind of similar to the wormhole it's almost sort of like the opposite like you go in like imagine you would go into the wormhole and then basically on the outside you would see the universe and light and then it would just stop it would just become black just become absolutely black and that's just it you're just going into complete darkness um yeah, it's it's like one of those things, you know, and and it's sort of like death. No one can ever really know what's going to happen when you once you go in. Like it's exactly. just you go in, something happens, and then that's it. <laughs> exactly, and we don't know what that something is. Yeah, um, and so he's falling and falling and going, and he's trying to pilot the ship, but you know, uh, it's kind of futile. And then at some point, he ejects, and he's just, you know, he's just falling. Um, and then we get probably the craziest scene in the whole movie, right? He falls into some place. Like, can words really describe where he ends up? Like, when you first see that? I just, it, I mean, because there's books involved, it's kind of just like a library. But what encompasses that library, what's on the outside, is very unknowable and very um, can't put into words exactly. Um, it's different. <laughs> it's a different realm. It's, it's a whole other realm of existence wherever he is. Like, is his yes. body even, like, there? Is it just there because we need a projection of Matthew McConaughey because he's our main character? Would it be too trippy if it was just, like, his mind expanding? Or, like, where did it take him? Because this is probably not the destination he thought it was going to be. Um, I don't know, just, like, a, a doorway to, to a different space and time. Yeah, he's in. But what he what we know is he's, like, he's basically in... in uh... Murph, Murphy's room when she was younger, like mm -hmm. pretty much at the beginning of the film that we saw. And he's like behind this bookshelf uh, and he sees her and he kind of like starts beating on the bookshelf and like kind of knocks a book over. Um, <laughs> the just, beginning is the end. The end is the beginning kind of a thing. Yeah. It's like, what the hell is going on? Super true. So, so here's a question I have for you. So how do you think they, they pulled this scene off? How do you think that they did he was suspended by a near a blue screen or something and just floating there is what I kind of imagined it to be. 
unless he was suspended inside of a really amazing set. <laughs> yeah, so if you can believe it, this whole thing was a set. Wow. That they right? They created this set, this thing. Like all the things you saw was was created for this whatever you want to call this this place. Um, later on, we 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 basically find out that it's it's is a four dimensional what we call a tesseract, not like the Marvel shit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a tesseract is like a it's like an object that describes how a four dimensional space interacts with three-dimensional space, pretty much. Um, and there's kind of a cool illustration, like if you look up like Tesseract, you can see what it looks like. Um, and what's interesting is you basically see, like a, towards the end of the scene, you see the Tesseract effect as this thing is sort of dissolving away. Uh, it's very interesting. Um, and it's basically like the best way to, to sort of visualize it, it would be a cube sort of kind of funneling in on itself infinitely. Okay. It, it's, uh, yeah, how it would work. Um, but yeah, but they, that's basically what it is. Some kind of four-dimensional thing, and we have a three-dimensional being thrust into it. <laughs> uh, and then so Cooper, you know, he's, he, he figures out, oh, I need to communicate with Murph uh, and try and send her a message. And, you know, uh, Tars survives. And so then Tars shows up and kind of they're able to communicate with each other. And sort of the whole, one of the big things is like there's some sort of, data that you can glean from being inside of a black hole that it's basically impossible for human beings to get out because, mm -hmm. you know, once you go in the black hole, you can't get out of it. So then now they're able to do it. And Cooper is able to communicate that information to Murph um, over time. And so that's basically what this whole story has been about is for him to, to do this thing, to communicate with her. He was her ghost mm -hmm. so that it can, they can basically together save humanity. So, yeah. <laughs> and then it's kind of, it goes back to, he even mentions it, it goes back to what Brand, I mean, Anne Hathaway's character Brand was talking about before. Like, love can transcend time and space and reality. And he does it. He proves it right. Um, even if he thought it was hokey at the time and was just her being compromised in an emotional way, he's like, no, it actually is true. Like, I need to communicate with the one person who will understand what I'm trying to get across. And he does that with with Murph and for her to like yeah. you need to find me and he tries to get himself to stay and you know don't go it's it's not worth it it's not it's not what you think it is and um yeah he sees yeah. himself leave her again and he's just yeah he even tries telling himself like come back come back mm -hmm. and and the, another yeah. thing too is like the they kept mentioning these beings that would have created the wormhole throughout the whole film you know why did they do it who is it for and Tars kind of talks about how, yeah, I'm with these people or I'm with these beings and they're trying to communicate or something like that. And they're showing us this, this thing. And even he can't really put it into words as well, which I thought was like, oh, okay. So it kind of, cause I kept wondering if they were going to circle back to it or if it was going to be forgotten, like lost in the shuffle of all the other crazy things that were going on, but they, they do circle back. Yeah. And so um, Cooper pretty, pretty much says that they are some kind of future version of human beings. Like, evolved beyond you know our our futile silly three-dimensional <laughs> you know about like us four things that are bound by space and time like they're unbound by it and they're far beyond it so they created this the tesseract this this um representation of every moment in time that uh is within her room so that cooper can communicate with her um and then 
you know, Cooper figures out he's going to transmit the quantum data to Murph through this watch that he gave her. Um, and then Murph, we see Murph realize that, that she's getting this data from the watch. She like sees like the, there's like this code on the, on the, the second hand or something like that, or the minute hand and it's moving. Um, and then we see her get, gather all the data, complete the equation. Uh, and then she has this Eureka moment and she, oh yeah, by the way, Topher Grace is in this movie too. Oh yeah. That was random. Venom. Yeah. Yeah. He was in this. <laughs> It was just kind of like, okay, he's just kind of there. You know, yeah, Topher Grace. That's how I kind of feel about Topher Grace is that, oh, he's just kind of there. <laughs> <laughs> the best thing about Topher Grace is like, he's actually a really good editor and he's edited, he edited, he edited a fan version of like, he edited like the first two prequels together into a movie, huh. which was interesting. And he also did these really great um, sort of fan edit sort of, Star Wars compilations. If you haven't seen it, I would definitely recommend it. I'll check it out. Uh, I think it's like Star Wars Always is what it's called. It'll get you very emotional, I'll just say that. Oh, <laughs> probably. okay. I definitely got emotional watching it. Um, yeah, so... Um, oh, the other thing, too, just to, to, to talk about. Um, Cooper... One of the things Cooper figures out is that he, in this Tesseract, he can't change the past. He can't. So time... Um, this isn't like time travel where like, you know, I go back in the past and I, I don't know, kill my grandfather, but I'm still alive because I've created an alternate timeline. There's one timeline. And so it cannot be changed. Um, but in the future, he's able to basically, you know, give her the information to save humanity, which is then going to then create these four dimensional beings in the future. And once, once he's relayed the information to her, his task is done. Um, and we see the Tesseract kind of dissipating as it were. Um, and yeah, they, 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 yeah, all this stuff was so cool. It was so cool the way they did all this stuff. We see it disappearing and then um, he gets spit out somewhere like near, near Jupiter or something. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of weird to me be, only because I'm like, okay, if he gets sucked in the black hole and you can't get back out, how the fuck did they get him out? Or, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they're that evolved to where they can, they can harness the power of a black hole to get some, the one guy who went in it out. But like I, it was fine. I suspended my reality enough long, long enough for it. Yeah. Um, well, I guess one other thing I should mention is that, like, as the tesseract is unfolding, Cooper sees Brand in the spaceship heading through the wormhole, and he's like, kind of mm -hmm. reaches out to her. So it was oh yeah, him. yeah, exactly. Her first, the first handshake. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of like a cool, you know, symmetrical thing. Time is relative. Right. Yep. <laughs> um, so then Cooper wakes up in a. This is another cool scene. It's a. It's a. What it's called is a O'Neill cylinder space station. So it's a cylindrical space station um, habitat, pretty much in space, and it's orbiting Saturn. And it's named after. It's called Cooper Station, but it's mm -hmm. named after the daughter Cooper, not him, or whatever, or, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I think it's named after Murphy. Yeah. Yeah, Murph is. Yeah, I forget. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this was this was okay. This was an interesting. This was like a small thing, but this kind of got me because I this was like a thing that I picked up. So they have a plaque dedicated to the Lazarus mission, and <laughs> so it has the brand. It has the poem on it, right? The the mm -hmm. rage, rage, rage. And guess guess whose name is also inscribed on this thing? Whose I didn't notice the the motherfucker, Doctor Man. Oh, okay. Oh, great. Right. Well, how messed up is that? 
it's so messed up because it's like, oh, he probably like, oh, he died trying to save humanity. Like, no, he didn't. He died because he was a moron. <laughs> like, he, he he almost destroyed humanity. He's the worst of humanity. Exactly. It's like, well, we don't know the whole story. We just know that he died trying <laughs> to do something. Yeah, it's a little. I mean, I don't know if they realized like how kind of that that says a lot because like that's what would probably happen in real life. Yeah, especially and, if you like you don't know you weren't there. You just know yeah. that he went. You know, it's not their fault. He, they didn't know he was a piece of shit. Yeah, exactly. It's not their fault. But yeah, it's like man, if only they knew. If only they knew how. And Doctor Brand too. Like the the he's another piece of shit. Lying exactly. Trash human. Um, probably set them back a long ways. Anyway, that just kind of, that was like a small note that kind of made me go, interesting. Uh, so yeah, so Cooper, they like, they give him a house. They, um, and it's like this dedication to the people that lived through the Dust Bowl era on Earth. Uh, Tars has survived too, and so he goes to repairing him. And they basically say like, you know, Murph is coming to the station to meet with him. Um, and then, <laughs> this is so interesting, right? He Cooper meets with Murph, who's old, and like he sees like her whole family's there. And she, you know, she's older than him. Mm-hmm. How crazy is that? Relativity for you? No, seriously. It was very, it was very good. I wish they had had more time. That's the only thing about that, yeah. about the ending. I know they were trying to wrap things up, um, which I, I, I get it. But the whole movie's been about them. You know what I mean? And they just yes. have this one scene and she's like, oh, you need to go get Brand. And I get it. She's old. She's dying. But it, it just it it wasn't very satisfying to me. I I, I was I was left kind of wanting more from both of them because um, they're finally back together, and then he just leaves again, and it's just yeah. Oh, I have my family around me now. I'm okay. I'm not mad anymore. I'm like okay. I'm glad you're not mad anymore. Yeah. But like, those are also his family, right? By yeah, the way. exactly. Those are and he like he ha- he doesn't say anything to them. Like it'd be like these are my grandchildren. I get to see them. These are your great-great-grandchildren. You know, like, this is a in, really intense moment. You don't want to just stay with your daughter, for, at least until she maybe passes away. Like, time is relative. Brant's going to be there. You know what I mean? And it just kind of... It made me a little sad that it was kind of just glossed over a little bit, and there wasn't more time between the two of them. That that definitely could have been played in a different way that could have been more emotionally satisfying. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he says, you know, you got to go find, go find uh, Amelia... She's on Edmund's planet by herself. Like, you have to go find her. And then he, you know, he hijacks a ranger with uh, TARS. Then they're off on their next mission. And basically the last thing we see is, you know, Brand on that planet by herself. And, again, you know, Edmund's, he is dead. Yep, he's been dead for a while, probably. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, I think he goes and gets her and they start a new colony there. <laughs> but also, these beings are so great and intelligent and amazing and live in a four-dimensional plane. Why didn't they just go get her? Is it supposed to be like this full circle thing, basically, where he has to be the this, one? Like, yeah. they have to start anew together because they're the only the, two who can really relate to each other, maybe? Well, I think, I think so the, the 4D being thing, um, this, this gets into some... There's actually, like, a really long answer to that. The, the, the short answer is pretty much because of the way time works and so that there's not some kind of weird loop of time or whatever, um, the beings have to like, they can't actively put a hand on the scale, I guess is the best way to put it. So that their occurrence can happen naturally. Um, Otherwise it becomes a paradox that basically would, would, you know, it it wouldn't make sense anymore logically. So they, they can, the, the beings can only intervene in a, in a way that is um, 
limited. Okay. Much. So that's why they they just do that stuff with Cooper so that he's able to save humanity and basically create them and nothing okay. else. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Because actually the whole plot is constructed around that. That's true. Um, it, it, there, there's another film. We may, I may see if we could talk about it at some point. It's called Sphere. It's a very similar type of setup. Oh, I um, saw that years ago when I was a kid. Yeah. I had no idea what was going on. It, it's a weird movie. It's a weird movie. Um, very, very weird. I liked it. I saw it as a kid and I liked it a lot. It really worked for me. Um, but I feel like for a lot of people it didn't work. But it had this right level of kind of eeriness, but sci-fi-ness, but also kind of like this where it's like trying to be hard sci-fi, you know, where it's not mm -hmm. trying to be fantastical and whimsical. It's trying to like approach a sci-fi question in a realistic way. Okay. And, you know, again, like that movie, it's all about doctors and stuff and scientists or whatever. Um, yeah. So, you know, you have to like really, Nolan was trying to be very intricate in how he set up the plot so that a paradox wasn't created pretty much. Um, yeah. But so, yeah, that was the film. So um, what do you think? So did you think that the film was too long? Like, what, what were your thoughts on that? Not necessarily. If they were trying to go like the true science route of it, I think it was an appropriate amount of time. If it was going to be, like you said, whimsical or fantastic or something like that, I feel like it would have been cut down to about an hour and a half, which is generally how long movies are. Um, but it also wanted to really immerse you as well. You wanted to really be immersed in the story and the setting, the, the places they go. So I thought it was a I thought it was a decent runtime. It was a it was it was a two hour movie. I didn't mind sitting through. If it had been if it had been like if the characters had been boring and uninteresting and just flat with no personality, I would have probably checked out of it honestly. So um, how if you were to compare this with other Nolan films in terms of like the characters, like how how much did you would you say you connected with the characters in this film as opposed to the other films of his that you've seen? Um, probably more so this this and. Um, uh, why do I keep forgetting the name? I mentioned you, but you reminded me of the name oh, earlier. The Prestige. The Prestige. The prestige. God yeah. damn it. Why do I keep forgetting yeah. that? <laughs> this and the Prestige, I think, were the most emotionally driven by character, uh, by character more than story. Like, there's obviously still a mystery surrounding both of these films, and we want to find out what that is, but we care about the characters. Yes. Um, pardon me. Especially, you know, the Christian Bale one is one we're supposed to be rooting for because the Hugh Jackman one is just so ego driven. Mm -hmm. um, it's like, like Dr. Matt. Exactly. Like, why can't you just leave well enough alone and get the yeah. get the fuck out of here, you little piece of shit? Um, but I feel like this one was the was the better of the of the two as far as emotions go and the investment that we place in these characters because you want him to get back to Murph. You really do. You know, he's already lost yes. so much time, um, and for her to save time waiting for him, she's been in cryogenic sleep the majority of her elder years. So it's um. Yeah, I thought it was definitely the more emotional of the two that I, I where I really cared about these characters. Cool. Um, and I guess what what was your favorite like sequence in this film? What what really like was your takeaway? Where you're like, wow, that blew me away. Well, it, it, it there's three moments that really stand out to me um, when they pass by Saturn. I loved that shot. Just like this giant and this tiny little speck basically that's what it is we're just a little speck um the wormhole and the black hole definitely like the giant wave was pretty cool but as far as like them being in space goes like i really loved that those moments of the wormhole and the black hole for sure i totally agree with you there i i, I think the tesseract stuff the tesseract stuff when i first saw it, it it like me and my friends i remember seeing it and we all had the same reaction just like blown away i mean in a film where you're constantly blown away by stuff 
mm-hmm. that blew us away even more to like it was just like because at first you're like trying to wrap your head around like what am i seeing what's going mm-hmm. on no for sure that was a good scene um i definitely i liked it i just i love the idea though of like let's just go in the wormhole who cares let's yeah. just do it <laughs> the wormhole is so cool and just like even when you're seeing like there's a shot of them approaching it in their ship and it's just like wow because like you see this like star spinning or something yep. <laughs> it's like this vortex it is a horizon you know what's beyond the horizon yeah oh god i love that i love it i i this is one of my absolute favorite films like of all time like i just this is like what i love that film can do Mm-hmm. you know depict these things send it's like sending humans to places that we can only hope we could ever see the future yeah and it's so beyond our lifetime and that's it's the sad part of it it's so bittersweet it's so bittersweet because you just want to be there when it happens yeah this is basically the the closest we can get um probably <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it's so cool through it yeah it is very cool so cool Okay, cool. Yeah, I think that's uh, it for our review. Um, Do you have any kind of last words or thoughts that you want to share? Um, My only grievance with this is that I don't know if Gravity or this came first, but now we're just seeing a bunch of space movies and now it's getting, I feel like it's getting a little watered down. I feel like the genre is getting too saturated with too much. I feel like what made it special about movies like this was that there were so few and far between that now they're just pumping them out one after the other. Um, and I liked Gravity. I, I enjoyed it. Um, I think Interstellar is just, they're, they take place in space, but they're very different stories. You know what I mean? So I try and give yes. it that. I think Interstellar was better. I think it was, mm-hmm. no pun intended, worlds better. It was just, it was, it, it, yeah, it was just, it was just good. <laughs> it was just so good. Yeah. Like you said, Interstellar is trying to be like the 2001. It's trying to be on that level. It's trying to, to throw out ideas at us that are like that. You know, make us, you know, like like Star Trek, make us feel like we want to, you know, go better, go farther, pursue bigger things and like mm-hmm. break out of these small kind of, you know, the global conflicts and, you know, or the, the, the I don't know, the kind of somewhat irrelevant things and think about humanity in the scope of the universe, how big the universe is, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's just what I really like about this film. I really, really appreciate it. I really appreciate that Christopher Nolan uses his, because there's very, like, Every generation, there's like a handful of guys who get the ability to do stuff like this, right? Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate that he used that to create something like this, you know? Exactly. Then based in some truth of science, you know what I mean? Based in like, yeah, it's theory and things like that, but this is how we can try and portray those theories on the big screen too, which I, I really like because I love stuff like that. I really do. Yeah, for sure. Same here. Okay. Well, so I was thinking to do a film similar to this, maybe next week we could talk about the film contact. (laughs) Oh my God. I loved that movie growing up again. It was one of those films. I didn't entirely understand what was going on, but it just, I can definitely say that it's, it's one of those films that really, because there's different types of sci-fi, you know what I mean? Like there's Star Trek, there's Star Wars. And then there's this type of sci-fi with the real little, like the, the precursors to all of the other things that came before. And even though, you know, Contact came after Star Trek, it, it's irrelevant. It doesn't matter. It's like, it's it's a different way of portraying contact and life and things like that. And I remember it just, it really had a huge impact on me. And it just, 
I remember so many visual things about that movie, and I I wanted to be Jodie Foster so bad, but I, uh, but yeah. I I'm not smart enough to do these things. I know my limits. If I really wanted to be that, I would have tried. But I think it's good to know your limits sometimes and what you're good at. Know what you're good at. Um, but it just it hooked me on such an emotional level, on such a a wonder level, and it just I love that movie. So I'm totally game for watching that. Yeah, I, yeah, that'll be exciting because like. Well, I'll talk about it when we get into the review, but I had an interesting relationship with that film <laughs> as a kid. Um, but like you said, there's this is trying to be Interstellar and stuff like Contact and 2001. It's trying to be hard sci-fi, right? Yeah, and that's it, where actually I think it, Star Trek The Motion Picture shot itself in the foot because it hadn't been hard sci-fi at that point. It had been the whimsy. It had been the, the hokey. It had been the monster of the week for so long. And that's obviously not me knocking Star Trek because I I love it. Mm -hmm. um, but it took a hard turn trying to be that hard sci-fi, and it doesn't it doesn't work when you try and rewrite the biology of a of a franchise like that. It, you either have to start from the beginning as the hard sci-fi, or you start from the beginning as Star Trek sci-fi. And there's nothing wrong with either one, but I think that's where Star Trek: A Motion Picture shot itself in the foot is that I think people were expecting the whimsy and it was just no this is where we're going this is what beecher is this is all this other stuff it's it's god it's not god but it's not an alien what is it it's a conscious vortex of craziness basically and um i think both genres within the genre of sci-fi have have their place and it's and i i enjoy both of them very very much um I really love movies like Contact and Interstellar because I I feel like we know people like that. We can we can relate to them on a very personal level. Yeah, because like you know you think about the character like again it's very similar characters in Interstellar, right? It's it's a doctor, it's a astronaut, it's a scientist, it's these people who spend their life pursuing knowledge, and you know there's something about that passion that people have about pursuing knowledge, just kind of infectious at times, right? It is. You want to be there. You want to join them. You want to share in that excitement. Yeah. Um, so that'll be for next week or whenever. So that'll be a very exciting thing to talk about. Um, so, yeah. So until then, thanks a lot, everyone. And, um, you know, may the force be with you. Live long and prosper.